You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. How you doing, Ed? You ready for the postseason? I am ready for the postseason. I am ready for it all. Bring it to me. Yeah, I'm ready for it as well. And if you're listening to this show right now on the day it comes out, you're not listening to it a couple days after it came out, but on the day it came out, on October the 2nd, Saturday, we are currently doing Soxtoberfest at the Evergreen Park Oktoberfest event at 3450 West 97th Street and in the Circle Park, which is right next to there. We've got the beer garden, the art show, the kids' tent, the corn maze, the pony rides, the petting zoo, the touch-a-truck event. The Stein hoisting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Stein hoisting. I am hoisting steins in a contest. I'm actually uh, running the entire contest. I'm the MC. They've asked us to do that. So there is a Socks in the Basement Stein hoisting event going on uh, today. There's Caesar the DJ, the Wild Daisy Band. There's like a taste of Evergreen Park in terms of food tents. And there is our tent there with all kinds of Socks in the Basement swag, giveaways, and a cash raffle. We have all kinds of stuff going on in our tent. Come on over. Raise a glass. Join us. Prost. Oktoberfest, all part of Soxtoberfest, and I've got more Soxtoberfest dates coming up here in October that we will talk about later on in the show. But again, if you're listening on the day the episode comes out on October the 2nd, get on over to Evergreen Park from 2 to 9 p.m. today and join us, won't you? Uh, meanwhile, we have Dave Kaplan joining us here on this show. It's always good to get uh, to get Cap's perspective on stuff, because if there's somebody who knows Chicago sports scene... Dave Kaplan. Well, he came on at the beginning of the year with us uh, before the season started because he had said that he wanted to buy White Sox season tickets, and he's a notorious Cub fan. Yeah. And he he talked an awful lot about, you know, why you got to root for the White Sox, why you got to cover the White Sox. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk not only about what he thinks that the team could do here, what he thinks about Tony LaRusso's job. He he has a little bit of insight. He knows some people in that front office. So we're going to kind of pick his brain a little bit. And we're also going to talk a little bit about how he's going to cover the next couple of weeks here in this town. So there's a lot of stuff we'll dive into with Cap in just a little bit. Before we get to any of that, though, I've got to talk about this this article that came out in Forbes written by Phil Rogers. Oh, my God. Chicago baseball writer, and uh, before I even get into that, do not forget that this show is brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Check them out at FamilyDry.com. See all that they can do to keep water out of your basement and away from your home, especially this fall as the rain is going to start pouring down. It looks like uh, the back half of this weekend is just going to be a ton of rain. Make sure you're protected. Remember, you can call them 24-7 at 708-330-4466. Mention Socks in the Basement and get money off. The tweet went out on... Thursday, Phil Rogers put out a tweet and his original tweet to his story said this, the upcoming playoffs are high stakes affair for the White Sox, whose attendance is down 5% from 2019, while Jerry Reinsdorf keeps spending to win my take for Forbes. This is the worst blurb leading into an article that I've seen in a long time. What Phil is saying there, completely out of context, is that the White Sox are down in attendance in 2021 compared to 2019, even though Jerry Reinsdorf spent a ton of money. There were COVID restrictions until mid-June. Did anybody forget about the pandemic, Phil? 
What what are you talking about? So he got ripped apart on on social media. And so he went out and put out like a like an updated one. He said, I've I've updated my White Sox post from earlier today to reflect how COVID-19 protocols limited stadium capacity before June 25th adds context and to me points out how it's even more impressive the Sox are operating with a record payroll. No, no, Phil, hold on a second. You've misled everybody again. This record payroll thing makes it sound like all of a sudden the White Sox are just like one of the top spenders in Major League Baseball. Let me rattle off some stats here, Ed, and then I can't wait to get your take on this. But I took a look at two different sites, Baseball Reference and also Spot Tracks when it looks at like yeah. payroll. Because I wanted to make sure that we actually looked at facts instead of just throwing things out there as Phil was doing to promote his story. Per Baseball Reference, in 2019, the Chicago White Sox were 26th in payroll, 24th in attendance. Right. In 2021... During this season with the COVID restrictions, according to baseball reference, 17th in payroll this year and 16th in attendance. Now, Spot Tracks has the White Sox sitting at 15 overall because these sites kind of have to guess a little bit. They calculate it. That's what I'm looking at. Yeah, exactly. The other thing is, according to Spot Tracks and also if you look at baseball reference, the Sox are in the middle of the pack. The league average, according to Spot Track. Is 130 million and change. The White Sox are at 140 million and change, the first team above the league average. In Phil's story, he then goes on to say, and this is a quote from the story Credit White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf for betting heavily on the talents of his players in front office. The timing of his quote, all in approach for 2021 couldn't be more striking. Don't say that either. That gives the impression that that's it. Like, no more money will be spent. Like, if you think we need an upgrade at second base next year, whoa, whoa, we're already all in. Because Jerry, Jerry's all in. He's, he's spent all the money that could be spent by a baseball team. Right. I mean, I just read off statistics for you that show the more money you spend, the more, mo- more people show up. I just showed a direct correlation that the more you put in your team, the more people show up and buy in your team, spend money with your team. And, and that should be an indication right there for the White Sox that they're not all in. They've done a great job. Let's run the names. Let's run the names of the teams that are above the Sox. I'm on spot track. Above the Sox on payroll. The Cubs, just above them right now. By the way, the only quote in the article is Tom Ricketts. There's no quote from yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf here, even though the article's about him. For some reason, the Cubs are involved in this article instead of Jerry Reinsdorf, which makes no sense to me at all, but go ahead. Or anybody in the White Sox organization, it's Tom Ricketts. Cubs, Nationals, Braves, Blue Jays, uh, the Giants, the Cardinals, the Padres, the Angels, the Red Sox, the Phillies, the Astros, the Mets, the Yankees, and the Dodgers are at the top. And all those teams that you mentioned were in the playoff hunt or are in the playoffs. Except for the Angels. The Angels are the only team that's on there, and the Cubs, that really had had down years. But they are two teams that spend heavily, right? Meanwhile, only one team below the White Sox made the postseason this year, the Milwaukee Brewers, at 19. Oh, and, and the Rays at 26. The Rays are, are, are always at the bottom. We forget about them because they don't spend any money. Guess where the Rays are in attendance? They're 27th. They're at the bottom of the pack pretty much. Exactly. Right there. You just made the point. That's perfect. It, there's a correlation between the product on the field and the money the team puts in to the amount of people that show up and watch the games. It's amazing. It seems like it's something you would learn in Economics 101. Like something everybody has to take their first year when they walk into college, wherever they go. 
There's no rocket science here. First of all, the White Sox don't have an attendance problem. Secondly, the White Sox don't have a Jerry Reinsdorf problem right now because he spent money. If he's really done, I'd have some problems with that. But he spent money and he's been able to see that if I spend money, they show up even in a year with a pandemic. So I have no idea why this article was written. Like this feels like Forbes sent an email and and Phil Rogers goes, uh, hey, what do you need? And they're like, we just want you to write about anything. And he's like, anything? Yeah, anything you want to. And you'll pay me for it? Sure. All right, I'll just come up with something. Like, what is the point of this? I mean, is the point of this to make it seem like the owner spent and the fans didn't show up? Because that isn't true. Is the point of it to say that the owner has tapped himself out and pushed all of his cards into the table and this is it, so I hope it works out? Because that hopefully, and I don't believe is true. Because this is the beginning of something and the only way that this progresses is if the White Sox continue to pay these salaries as these, as these contracts progress and resign and grab free agents and 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 continue to build their team and plug holes and if they don't win the World Series this year they're going to sit there in the offseason and say well we got to fix this and we got to fix this so we can beat these teams it's the same old tired argument of the White Sox fans don't show up that they are the second fiddle in the, in the city and it's it's the same stuff we talked about as far as covering the Sox quite frankly and that whole second class citizen thing in 2019, and I'm, I'm on ESPN looking at their MLB attendance reports. In 2019, the Cubs are fourth in attendance. The Sox are 23rd. In 2021, the Cubs are eighth, and the Sox are 14th. That gap is really narrowed, okay? And we know that the Cubs, we know Wrigley Field's always a draw. There's just, that's that's not really a comparison to Wrigley Field and Guaranteed Rate Field. Just stop trying to make that comparison because it, it doesn't work. Wrigley is a class baseball stadium. It's one of the few left that has any real, real, real history. It's not been replaced. So people go there. But the Cubs, having a lousy year, have sunk back. The Sox, having a great year, have jumped nine spots. They're actually ahead of the Angels who are ahead of them in payroll. They're ahead of the Phillies who are ahead of them in payroll. They're ahead of Washington who's ahead of them in payroll. So what, what do you want to see happen here, Mr. Rogers, what what's going on in your neighborhood to, to now mix my puns here? It's a terrible take. It's not factually accurate. And as Sox fans, frankly, you should be offended because we are supporting our team and we are supporting our team in droves. Heck, the, the, the last blog I wrote, I said my biggest concern about the Sox going into the pro season is that the stadium staff is ready for us because we are coming. We are filling that joint. We're going into the postseason. We've got an absolutely great team. Our payroll sits right where our attendance is, sits right where we should be at this point. And if we fall short, it'll be an indication the payroll may need to be increased as more players are put onto the team. And then guess what? More people are going to show up at the ballpark and pay for that because that's how this works. You know what, damn it, Chris, I need another beer. <laughs> Listen. Our next stop on the Soxtoberfest tour is going to be at Cork and Carry at the park for game three of the ALDS. I don't think that the White Sox are uh, going to win three straight while the Astros lose three straight this weekend and things flip-flop and they're the home team. Like, it could happen. Anything could happen. I mean, 2008 was a weird finish as well. We probably never should have been in game 163. So anything could happen, but I'm not expecting it. So if everything holds up the way it's supposed to, we'll be at Cork and Carry at the park this coming Sunday, the 10th, for a pregame. The moment we know when the game time is, we'll announce through social media, and then we'll have the exact time as when the event starts. But I'm figuring about two, two and a half hours before game time 
to give us plenty of time to hang out with you, hand out some swag, do a little pre-party, and then we can all make it over to the ballpark for the time that the game begins because you want to be there for that. That's the first home game that we've had in the postseason since 08. So I know everybody wants to be in the ballpark, but a pre-party at Cork and Carey at the park at 33rd in Princeton. And if you're going this weekend, if you're going to be there during the postseason, make sure you start and end at Cork and Carey at the park, a Southside tradition in the shadow of the ballpark. Uh, They've got an incredible award-winning menu. They have quick service, great prices, full bar, and amazing things on tap. Everything from your old favorites to some craft beer selections. Indoor-outdoor seating. And remember, you can rent the place out if you decide you want to have yourself your own White Sox viewing party, which might be fun during the postseason. But we will see you coming up this Sunday. Back before the season started, we had Dave Kaplan on from ESPN 1000 and NBC Sports Chicago because... He was going out, this this big Cubs fan, and buying himself White Sox season tickets. And now that the season is coming to an end and the White Sox are on their way into the postseason, we wanted to bring the Cap Man back on the show and ask him how the season was for him. How are you, Cap? I am great, Chris. It's awesome to be with you. And, you know, here we are on the precipice of a White Sox playoff appearance, the final weekend of the regular season's coming up here starting tonight, which is a Friday. And then, let's get it on. You come for, as John Lackey once said, and come for a haircut. I came for jewelry. Let's get it on. So it should be fun. Yeah, I mean, look, we feel real good here on this show about what the White Sox chances are, especially in the opening series. What was your take on the team with the ups and the downs and the the injuries that they had and the way that Tony was kind of able to push all the right buttons and get them to this point where, in reality, over the last month, I think an awful lot of White Sox fans were like, foregone conclusion, we're winning this division, and we're just kind of waiting for the postseason to start. So all the people that were so over-the-top critical of the Tony La Russa hire, you don't hear them anymore. Because if you had told those people back in March, Robert, three months at least, gone. Jimenez, three months, gone. Multiple injured list stints for Tim Anderson, a stint for Lance Lynn, I think, twice. A stint for Lucas Giolito. Surgery and a long stint for Yasmani Grandal. And if you're going to ask Gavin Sheets, Brian Goodwin, Jake Lamb, Sebi Zavala, just to name a few, you're going to ask those guys to play a huge role on a team, everyone would have gone, oh, we're screwed. And all of a sudden... This team is connected. I heard Tim Anderson the other day say what a great leader Tony has been and that it's a family. And that, like, those of us who knew people in St. Louis or knew Tony, uh, it it wasn't shocking. And when Albert Pujols connected Abreu and La Russa after the hiring, and he said, Jose, you're going to love playing for this man. And now Abreu loves playing for Tony La Russa. I'm telling you, I'm envious as a Cubs fan. The White Sox are in a really good spot. May not win the World Series. There's some injury concerns, and it's hard to do it. But that thing is built on solid ground. And, you know, I get your point about La Russa, and you're right about that. He did an incredible job this year, and he did a job that I don't think most managers could have done, keeping things rolling the way that they rolled throughout the year. The The only question I have for you, because I can see it happening, I hope it doesn't happen, but if the White Sox don't go far in the postseason, and the fact that they made the postseason – last year, 
Would there be any criticism? Do you think there'd be any any right for people to criticize? Because this is really what Tony was hired for now is this postseason run, is getting them deep into the postseason. Is there still pressure on the Larusa hire, or did he already put everything to rest with what he did in the regular season? I think he put everything to rest, but you know how fans are. They're going to get in, they're invested. If you're a Sox fan, you are invested and ready for this run. And you're facing a really good Houston team that's exceptionally well managed. You know, I know there's detractors in this town for, for Dusty. The only man in the history of the sport to win divisions with five different teams and obviously take all of them to the postseason. He's never won a World Series, but he's got a really good team. So, you know, if the Sox go out and get swept three straight and get destroyed doing it, people are going to be very, very disappointed, as will Tony, and rightly so. But this thing, as I said to you in the last answer, is built on really solid ground with dudes who bought in and have signed long-term, and you got to have a mixture of great, great baseball players with great health and fortuitous breaks. It's all got to click. As good as the Cubs were in 2016, who knows if they don't come back in the ninth inning in San Francisco in game four and they got to face really good Johnny Cueto, who nearly beat them in game one at Wrigley, they might have got knocked out. They might have not even got to the second round. They end up winning a World Series. Who knows if A.J. Pruszynski doesn't fool the umpire with some incredibly smart baseball and get the first base against the Angels? Who knows? Maybe you don't ever get past that series. So you got to get great breaks, great play, great managing. It all has to roll together. You've been watching this team all year long. And I, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is one, you, you interact with all these Chicago sports fans on ESPN 1000, but also you've never made apologies for it. The Cubs are your team, but you're following the White Sox very closely. You've actually done a very good job of covering the Sox on your show and you've observed this team all year long. So without looking at it through fan goggles, like a lot of us are looking at it, how do you see this first series with the Astros stacking up? Because there's a lot of arguments right now, we've made it too, that the White Sox are very deep pitching-wise. You could take the stats of Dylan Cease and put them up against Lance McCullers, who's likely their one, and Cease is likely pitching a game three for us, and they're almost a mirror. And you get a little confident with the pitching that the White Sox have and the fact they're on a roll here in the last week heading into the postseason. But what is your feeling about this series? Well, they can really, really hit. I mean, that's still, it may not be this 2017 team and all the jokes aside from the cheating, that team could rake with George Springer and Bregman and all. That team is not hitting at that level, but it's still a really scary offensive team. I don't think it's a great pitching team. You know, back then you had Justin Verlander who was going to win a Cy Young and you had a different Dallas Keuchel and you had all these other dudes that could really, really pitch. Uh, Garrett Cole was down there. Like you had all these amazing arms. I don't see that from this team. My big concern is they're a good fastball hitting team. Lance Lynn is a fastball-reliant guy. Can he paint the corners? Can he use his off-speed stuff, keep them off balance? I think he can. Tell me his knee is close to healthy, and I know how these guys get themselves ready. Uh, Lucas Giolito, I think, should be a really good advantage for the White Sox. This is not the Carlos Rodon from June that was sitting comfortably at 96-97, and could run it up, I saw it, because I was there, 
at 99 if he needed a big top-of-the-zone fastball to strike a guy out. I watched him the other day, and he pitched well. He was a very good pitcher, but he did not have that type of velocity. He was 92, 93. I got to see how he does there, not against the Reds, who didn't have Castellanos and Votto and Moustakis in the lineup. How does he do against the Houston Astros? That's a question to be answered in the postseason. Cap, you're you're on the flagship station for the White Sox, and it's kind of a rare thing over the last 20 years. It's happened once or twice where the White Sox are in the postseason and there's also Bears football that, that people want to talk about. Are the Sox the number one thing now throughout the postseason that you're going to talk about on your show? How do you balance that? I'm just curious. I, w- I would say it's 1-1A. One one Look, whether it was the Cubs, whether it's the White Sox, whoever it is, The Bears are the number one property in this town, and it's not close because it's the Bears. That said, we're not just a sports station that is covering the White Sox. We are the home of the White Sox, and I feel like we have a responsibility not only to that team because they're our partner. We have a responsibility to that big fan base that has waited patiently since 2008 to get back to the postseason, and we have multiple... First of all, my partner, Jonathan Hood, that's his favorite team, the White Sox. We have a responsibility to all those fans that have waited so patiently, have embraced our station. We see the effect it has on the number of people listening. We have a responsibility to them that when they get in the car in the morning and they turn on ESPN 1000... We got to talk about what happened last night. Now, again, we'll give the Bears fans what they want. We'll give them plenty of coverage. But believe you me, the White Sox will be a huge part of our content. I would imagine, too, you're getting more people interacting with you guys uh, just talking about the Sox recently. I I looked at a stat this week, which is really interesting. I don't know if you've seen it. The more the team gets good, the more investment into the team, it seems like the more people show up. The better the team is, the more the team puts into the product on the field, the more the fans come out of the woodwork for this team. I would imagine the phone lines light up more often for this team than they used to. Oh, no question about it. I mean, it's funny. At the start of the season, so it's the beginning of our relationship, the Cubs still had Bryant and Baez and Rizzo and all these dudes. And so we opened up the phone lines. Hey, Chicago baseball fans, you know, what's your thought on the start of the season? And I would say 10 lines that we have ring at one time in the studio, and eight of them were Cub fans. And Danny Zetterman, our producer, said, Hoodie, where are all these Sox fans? They've been looking for a home, and we're trying to give them one. Where are all these people? And bam, all of a sudden, here came the calls. And the Sox fans found a home with us, and they've been a tremendous partner. I mean, outstanding. They like having a home with us because we do so much in terms of content and promotion for them, and we love having them because they're a really good team and really good people. Yeah, and they're going to be a good team for a long time. Cap, I know you are a busy man, and I appreciate the fact that you jumped on Sox in the basement to share your thoughts. Hopefully we have a nice long run through the postseason and maybe we can talk after they hoist the trophy at the end that would be amazing i would love to do it and let me just tell everybody out there listen you got a big listening audience take it from someone who's been through playoff runs where his heart was invested it wasn't just my job it was my heart beating out there on the set get your rest because 
physically, it the stress of postseason baseball will take its toll on your body. I'm telling you from experience, make sure you get your rest, eat right, exercise, and then when you sit down in front of that TV or in your seat at the stadium, be ready to crank it up because it's a fun ride. Awesome. Dave Kaplan, everybody. Thanks a lot, Cap. Thanks, man. Have a good day, Chris. Go White Sox. Hey, Sox fans. In the southwest suburbs, Davern's Tavern and Lounge in Justice, Illinois, has something for everyone. Located at 8527 West 79th Street, they have this large back party room to host an event for up to 150 people. They have a massive outdoor beer garden, horseshoes, cornhole. In fact, they host the Midwest largest blind draw bags tournament every Monday night with a major and minor league. All skill levels are welcome to Man Cave Mondays and live music with DJs on the weekends. Chicago Bears fans, there's free food during all Bears games. And Davern's is a White Sox bar. During Sox games at Davern's, $2.50 Miller Lite bottles, $2.00 UV bombs, $12.00 pizzas, 8527 West 79th Street. Learn more at DavernsTavern.com. You heard Dave Kaplan talking about Lance Lynn, who's likely now the game one starter because Tony lined up this weekend, Friday night, Lynn, Saturday night, Giolito, uh, Sunday afternoon, Cease. So that looks like your one, two, three for the postseason. That's what I would expect. Which makes sense, yeah. He could always switch it up because he's got lots of time before game one here. But that's what that's what it looks like he's going to end up doing. And Cap's concern that Lance Lynn basically throws three different kinds of fastballs against a team that's a fastball hitting team. And when I heard him say that in the interview, I I got nervous. But then I also thought to myself, when he's dancing that fastball, there's a big difference about where it ends up. So you might be a fastball hitting team, but you still got to guess right about where that fastball is going because he throws the three different kinds of fastballs. Are you concerned about him being the number one starter? Like we've, we've talked about it. There's pluses and minuses. No, not not really, because what you're trying to do if you're going again, we're assuming that they're going to play the first two in Houston. What you're trying to do is you're trying to split that. So you need either Giolito or Lynn to come up big. And yeah, it'd be nice to take game one, but it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, if Lynn loses game one and Giolito wins game two, that they've had an unsuccessful run into Houston because that's when you're the road team, that's what you're looking to do. I'm not overly concerned because also where do you think Lynn slots in then? Would you, you don't want Dylan Cease on the road. No, I mean, he would have to be too. So you're right. I mean, one of them's going to start a game and the other one's going to start a game. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if you trust Rodon or Keichel. You're right. Lynn's going to have to have good command and he's going to have to keep him guessing. And it's probably going to come down to how well Grandal calls the game and frames it and uses those three different fastballs to keep the, the Astros hitters off. And frankly, the Sox have to hit. They just have to, if it's Lance McCullers or whoever's out there, they got to hit. They got to score runs. I'm going to name off a bunch of pitchers. You tell me that in a complete vacuum here, knowing what they've done this year, knowing what they've been like over the last month, and you need to call upon one of them either for a start or to be part of a combination of players that come out and pitch in the postseason. Which one would you want out there if you were Tony and you had to go to one of these guys? Carlos Rodon, Dallas Keuchel, Michael Kopech, Reynaldo Lopez. Is he going to them for game four? 
game five, is he going to them starters or out of the pen? A game four starter, or they're they're like the main linchpin of like a, a setup where he might use an opener, and this is like the this is the one he's relying on. Like which one of those four guys do you feel the most confident relying upon in the postseason? And it might be two or three of them are guys you rely upon, but if you had to think of a name outside of the three starters, and you had to look at those four guys. Which one do you love the most right now? I'm hurting Ed right now. Like the facial expressions, like he's, it's turned into like a grotesque mask of some sort on the other side of the bar here. Because he just doesn't know how to answer It's not a far leap to get get into a grotesque mask. It it was grotesque to begin with. Put him in an order of how you feel about him or separate him into two groups. I feel good about these two guys and not good about these other two guys. Just give me something. All right. If you're talking about the first guy up, after an opener, if you're going to give somebody a short leash, then it's Lopez and Kopech are are tied virtually because I, I think Tony might want to have Kopech there as a high leverage guy, which I think means that Lopez slots into that first guy up. In terms of the fourth starter, if you want to call it that, I think you could throw Lopez into the conversation with Rodon and Keuchel, and and, and I have. I have problems with Carlos Rodon as he currently sits. And maybe he gets better and comes out and is the Carlos Rodon that we remember from the start of the year. But I don't like going into the postseason in a potentially clinching game or a game where you're staving off elimination with a guy who is trying to reinvent himself on the fly because his fastball is way lower velocity than it was at the start of the year when he could just put it in the zone and guys would miss and his pitches are still moving, but he's got to rely on a curveball. He threw more curveballs than he had thrown all season, basically, to get through that Reds game. I, I have I have misgivings about a guy reinventing himself in a playoff game in that atmosphere, trying to figure something like that out. Keiko we have the problem with because he's trying to figure out what of his pitches still works as an effective way to get guys out. And Lopez, frankly, has stepped up and turned into something that we didn't expect him to turn into this year, and he is a bit of the hot hand right now, so I think he's in that conversation for both. So as I'm talking it out, damn it, it's Ronaldo Lopez. <laughs> and I'm not, and here's the thing, I wanna put I wanna put this little attachment onto what you're saying. Because I get your point, but you're not saying that you don't have any confidence in Carlos Rodon. Look, he could go out no, there no, no. and he could, he, the way he pitched in his last start of the regular season, his velocity was down, but he found a way to get guys out and he, he, he knew what he was doing. You know, he had a plan and he accomplished that plan. And, and he, he did executed it. Yeah, what we really expect. Did. We, he did better than what we expected him to do by going five innings. So I'm not saying that he can't go out there. I don't think you're saying that either, but when the chips are down and you had to find the guy that you would be least nervous about, like let's say, like if Rodon was out there every pitch, I would have to almost close my eyes like it was a horror movie right now because I wouldn't be sure what was going to happen because I think my confidence is shaken because of the arm issues, because of the fact that his velocity is down. Where meanwhile with Lopez, I might sit there and say, well, it's right now the Lopez. I mean, we're basically throwing a guy out there. I never expected to go out there or do anything. And you, it's almost like I'm playing with house money at this point. And if he turns in like three, four innings, I'm, ec- I'm ecstatic. Like, I don't think I'm hiding behind a pillow while I watch Reynaldo Lopez throw the ball. Okay. Like, so I, I think that's what you're trying to say. Any right? more than you would, any more than you would with Ronaldo Lopez throwing the ball. Ronaldo Lopez. It, 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 I think my, my confidence level is I'm not saying that I wouldn't put Carlos Rodon out there. I'm not saying that I wouldn't, pick Rodon over Keuchel still or that the argument has shifted all that much 
because I, my point is, is that both guys are trying to find something right now. And Rodon executed. But Keiko's frankly, executed decently the last few starts as well. Lopez is going in with the same stuff that he's had when he's been successful up here. He's going in with the same attitude and mindset. And from a confidence level, I just like a guy who is picking up where he left off in the regular season, going into the postseason with really nothing changing, and saying, just go and do what you've been doing, as opposed to Carlos Rodon, where you're right. I'd be sitting there going, you know, is this where he hangs one? Is this where, you know, the 93-mile-an-hour fastball that, when it was 99, goes past an Astros hitter, uh, but now gets tattooed because, again, they're a fastball-hitting team. So it's, it's not a lack of confidence in Carlos Rodon. It's just maybe a little bit more confidence in Ronaldo Lopez. And, and I never ever thought I would say that this year. Yeah. There's been a lot of weird things that have happened this year that I never believed were going to happen. I mean, Leary Garcia's last month or so never, I never saw that coming at all, but I think it goes oh, back gosh. to something we've talked about that he generally gets overexposed when he's being used too often. And Tony has known exactly what position to put him in, where in the lineup to put him and how to use him. And it's really a credit to what he's been able to do. And to, I want to echo what Cap said when he was in the interview, that it's it's what Tony did with this team is incredibly impressive. Although, I still believe, and I'm one of those people that believe this, Tony LaRusso was hired not to win divisions. He was hired to win championships. So it's going to be okay, I think, to judge him on how he does things here because it will be his choice as to which one of those pitchers he calls upon and when he calls upon them throughout this series. These are going to be Tony's decisions, okay? And we were we were told that this is why he was hired is to go in there and win championships. So I'm I'm I believe in him, but I'm going to be watching it now. I I am impressed with his season. I am also saying, well, now this is what you were hired for. There's that part of me. It's like now now go do it. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.